Across America and around the world, famous vintners and favorite destinations. We share the stories behind the wines. Welcome to Vintage, hosted by the voice of wine, Brian Bushlack. And in this episode, we divert off the West Coast wine trails to Georgia Lake Country and Reynolds Lake Oconee, a spectacular and sprawling year-round resort on the way from Atlanta to Augusta. And many now call it their year-round home, others part-time. And regardless, there is literally something for everyone here. Reynolds Lake Oconee, known for its golf, Six championship courses, one designed by Jack Nicholas. Most homes either sit on a golf course or on the massive Lake Oconee. It's the second largest lake in Georgia. So boating is obviously big here as well. They have five marinas with concierge boat storage and service. And on top of that, their sporting club is among the best, if not the best, in all of the southeast. This year-round resort of this magnitude, obviously, they don't cut corners on food and wine either. And what's nice here is the opportunity over 2,000 miles from Napa, Sonoma, Oregon, and Washington to enjoy a spectacular cross-section of American wine. The top vintners in the country, well, they make their way to Georgia every year The Atlanta market, obviously huge, but Reynolds Lake Oconee offers the ultimate blend of wine lovers. They have members from 48 states. So you talk about spreading the word about your wine. Well, this is the place to do it. The man who runs food and beverage at Reynolds Lake Oconee hails from the West Coast, Southern California. Jason Plazola brings a wealth of wine knowledge to this resort. He's an encyclopedia of wine, well-connected, In fact, he turned me on to a Washington vintner I hadn't heard of. We'll feature them on an upcoming show. And I'm always interested to learn how the influencers like Jason were first influenced themselves by wine. My family didn't drink a lot of wine and I wasn't really exposed to it. But I do remember Grandma's house, special occasions, there was always this bottle on the table and it just seemed to be glowing and have that sound come out of it and I knew I knew it was special because it was only like a special holiday or occasion so um, that's my earliest memory and then I really had the opportunity my first job in restaurants running food at a restaurant called DC3 in Santa Monica that was hip and trendy and I didn't know a thing about what was going on but I saw all this beautiful wine being served and enjoyed and I just said I'm in I've got to find out more about this I've got to learn about it and that was where it all really started. So the west coast then California and we've seen the growth in that industry over the last 40-50 years we've now seen Oregon and Washington get into the mix we see other pockets of, of wine around the country Uh, So talk about that. I mean, coming up in the California region and what that was like. When I first got started, I didn't know, but it soon became evident that we were in the epicenter of American wine, right? I mean, even being in Southern California, being surrounded by the iconic wine regions that were producing wine in North America, namely Napa Valley and Sonoma, right? And that's really where the American wine story started. And as you mentioned, Oregon and Washington have 
more than thrown their name into the hat and they're producing uh, world-class wines on, on par and sometimes even, even above California and Napa Valley. And we're excited to feature many of those products here at the club for our members as well. Uh, because the world of wine is so diversified, I mean, you've got an incredibly challenging role here in that, you know, someone may come in and, and love Oregon Chardonnay, right? And, you know, you have to be able to navigate that and address uh, so many different uh, varietals and what people like. And it, it, it's a challenge, isn't it? It is, but it's a it's a really rewarding one. And I, and I, and I tell you, you... you in a world that can become so specialized, you still want to have wide appeal, right? It's that fine balance in creating a program, whether it's your wine lists or, or the events that you're centering around wines and winemakers and vintners and winery owners. It is a fine line, but it is challenged, but it's also extremely rewarding. You mentioned Oregon Chardonnay, you know. Five years ago, if you said Oregon Chardonnay, people said, no, 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 you meant California or Washington. No. I mean, every day I hear about a new winery in Oregon that's replanting their Pinot Gris vineyards with Chardonnay because they see, you know, the demand for that and an opportunity in the market and the flavor profile. But in terms of members' preferences and trying to really speak to that, especially at a property like ours that um, is so vast with, you know, 3,800 memberships, translating into about 7,000 members, 70% of which are full-time. Most very sophisticated wine aficionados and enjoyers. So it is a challenge, but one that that we came here to do and and accept. Let me give you a a fun example. Uh, Tuesday night, just a couple nights ago, we had a, um, a really fun little tasting at one of our clubhouses at the Lake Club. So let me try to paint a picture for you. 500 members... 200 wines, 32 different varietals, 53 different geographical regions and appellations represented in the 200 wines, uh, three hours, and we just let them go. And it's become, we've, we, we've started this tradition over the last 18 to 24 months here at the club, and it's become one of the uh, events of the year they marked a calendar for. And they literally get to taste up to 200 wines, if, if that's humanly possible to do in three hours. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then uh, we offer them a, a great purchasing opportunity for their home sellers. And so Tuesday night, just in that, in that three hours, our members, God love them, they purchased 4,500 bottles of wine during that tasting. And pretty much... All of those categories were represented in their orders, in their purchases. So it just kind of speaks to how the world keeps evolving and tastes and sophistication keeps evolving and how we continue to have fun with it. Well, and that's the thing that's amazing about this property is the diversity, right? So you've got different restaurants and different feels, different atmospheres, right? So you probably are tailoring each of the the wine and beverage programs to each of those different locations then, right? A thousand percent, absolutely. And and that's the only way to be successful with a true culinary and wine program. The wine has to speak to Chef Darren's culinary inspiration and vice versa, of course. So there was a time perhaps in the history of the club where in the various clubhouses, the menus and the wine list look relatively similar, 
but uh, Chef arrived about four years ago and I arrived about three years ago. We absolutely had every intention of creating uniquely differentiated concepts, both on the plate and in the glass, in the different locations. And we've, I think we've really come a long way in that. And, uh, and I think the members really appreciate that because uh, when you're full-time in a community and you have five, six different clubhouse restaurants, uh, variety is the spice of life, right? And so that's absolutely a goal. We'll continue to push in that direction, but we're very, very fortunate that the wealth of, on chef's side, locally sourced ingredients is so vast and our wealth of and you may not have been able to say this in Georgia a few years ago, but almost everything that's available to us in California is available to us now in Georgia. So we're able to really expand those offerings and have a lot of fun with it. Now, remember in the early to mid-1990s, coming from where I was in Oregon at the time, the epicenter of craft brewing, and then you'd travel to maybe Arizona, and you'd, you know, You'd see Michelob and Budweiser, right? But no craft beer. Very few, right? Maybe a Sam Adams. And to relate that to wine, you know, if you're in San Francisco, L.A. area, you're in California, that wine list is typically geared toward California. Obviously, there may be a, a, some wine certainly from the old world or maybe, a, maybe an Oregon or a Washington wine. What's it like in Georgia where you're... 2,500 miles removed from the West Coast and those wines in putting a program together. I mean, really, because, I mean, you don't have to lean any direction, do you? No, we certainly don't have to. And Brian, it all starts with really attempting to understand what our members' preferences are, right? It's not about what I like. It's not about what our other nine certified sommeliers here at the club like that certainly informs the conversation and the decision but at the end of the day it all begins and ends with what our members enjoy and then we go from there and we have learned that overwhelmingly our members preferences are for new world largely north american wines and so we've designed most of our programming around that and you see that reflected in the wine lists about 80% of our selections are North American. We do mix in, you know, some old world and some new world, you know, from other continents as well when it's appropriate. But that's, that's just where we find our, our members' preferences lie. I mean, like, I'll give an example from the tasting the other night of the 4,500 bottles that were purchased. The top three were uh, all California reds, right? Two Cabernets and and the Orange Swift Abstract, the Grenache Syrah blend, right? Okay. So given all the diversity of everything, at the end of the day, we still have some great feedback to let us know what they're interested in, what they're drinking, what's trending, and we listen very intently to that. Take that a step further, beyond the wine lists, we craft a series of what we like to, to it, with intention, world-class wine events here for our members to enjoy that include having some of the iconic folks in the wine world come to Reynolds, some of the folks who have written these amazing stories behind the wines with their families, and come here in person and share those stories and tell those stories to our members in person. So over the last 18 months, just for example, we've had Violet Gergich from Gergich Hills 
Winery, come and share some events with us here with our members. Hugh Davies, the owner of Shramsburg in Calistoga. Tom Leonardini, the owner of Whitehall Lane in Napa Valley. And just a couple of weeks ago, Cameron Fry, the winemaker for Ramey Wine Cellars, was here at the club and did an event with us. And really to come and share their story here in Georgia. So you think, yeah, that's 2,500 miles away. It's not like going down to San Francisco or zipping down to L.A. or San Diego. But they do see the interest and the response from our members for their products, and, and they feel it's mutually beneficial to come and share that story here. And that, that, that's extremely rewarding. Janet Trefethen from Trefethen Family Vineyards, we were extremely fortunate, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Three weeks ago, she came to Reynolds, and she facilitated herself an educational class for 50 members of our front-of-house service staff, bartenders and servers, in person on the history of her wines, the technical aspects of her wines, and the family's history and their part in Napa Valley. So to have those types of opportunities from these iconic folks in the wine industry is amazing. And it's another, it's just another layer to how we can enhance our members' experience. And your members, they come from primarily Georgia, but we're pulling people from Charlotte. Uh, More and more we're seeing Florida coming here in the summer, right? So next question relates to the Destin Wine Auction, where my dear friends Greg and Stacey Lill from DeLille Cellars in Woodenville have been involved in that event for, I think, since the inception. And, you know, what they report back from the southeast is, you know, pardon the pun, but this thirst for these great wines, right? <laughs> and and the passion that everyone in the southeast has for North American wines, as you, you say. So it's... It's great to see because, I mean, we're talking, there's some distance there, but the the gap has been closed really in the last few years, hasn't it? It sure has. And as we, as we spoke, that's what these beautiful products do. They bring the world closer together. And that's what I love most about it. But absolutely, there, you know, there was a time where California wine, Napa Valley wine, relative to the world and even this geographic area was more of a unicorn Mm -hmm. than something you could reach out, touch, feel, and enjoy. That has obviously completely changed. Mm -hmm. And it's a credit to all the folks producing these products and their unrelenting intention to bring them to the world that I think has resulted in it. But you said you hit it on the head. The world is a a better place and it's a smaller place Mm -hmm. because of these products. Jason, I want to get your perspective on, specifically your perspective, from Georgia on the regions we've talked about. Because a lot of times I'm in, for instance, I was in, I'm based in Seattle. I was in Oregon last week, and we uh, we spent time in the Eola Amity Hills and with great winemakers, or, or the Dundee Hills, or wherever it may be. And we'll be in Napa in a couple of weeks. And and when you're in that environment, as you know, it is extremely granular. The detail, the everything from the soils to the philosophies to the stories. What? Let's flip the script. What's it like from Reynolds Lake Oconee looking at, say, let's start with the Washington wine industry where, you know, if you're in Washington, here's the story. Washington wine is this, it's that, it's on the rise. But if you're 2,500 miles away, what's the perception of the Washington industry? 
Well, it's uh, you're right. Terroir reigns everything, and you can only really see that, feel it, experience it when you're there. So how do you translate that over long distance? And that's our challenge, and we accept it. There are too many wonderful stories and things happening in place, parts of the world like the Willamette Valley and Walla Walla and, and these other places in Washington that you mentioned for us not to accept that challenge. And it's one member at a time, one glass at a time, one event at a time, but that's the way. And so we, we continue to feature those products in our program so that we can shine light on them through the wine lists, through specials that we do, through events. Specifically, I can tell you, uh, is September 25th, David Adelsheim, one of the pioneers of Oregon Pinot Noir and Oregon winemaking, will be here at Reynolds to bring his story and gather a good bunch of our members together and tell the story of what's going on in these parts of the world that maybe not not get all the spotlight like napa and sonoma and burgundy and bordeaux uh, uh, so so that's how we sort of approach it and we feel like we're just getting started and scratching the surface we're going to continue to invite these folks who um who are really responsible for these movements to come here and again uh make it less of a foreign kind of thought and concept and more something that our members can feel and understand and then make their lives better as a result. That's a great answer. And the follow-up to that then is, do you find that, uh, and you've got an incredible Petri dish of people here, right, to play with with this. Do you find that consumers or the club members or people in general today are more open to opening their eyes and their taste buds to other wines and other varietals than maybe they were 10 years ago. I mean, do you find people are more open to trying new things now than they were even five or 10 years ago? That's a great question. I'd say generally speaking, yes. However, however, (laughs) um, we like what we like, right? Whether it's wine, food, cars, people, we, we, generally tend to stay in lanes, right? We tend to stay in the lanes we're most comfortable in. But that's another, the, the, the fun, challenging, rewarding part of what we do because we know there's so much wonderful wine in the world. All we want to do is share that and open it up to you and let your world expand as a result. Mm-hmm. We recently did a fun event. Chef paired a wonderful menu around some Italian wines and we discovered a Pietra Dolce Etna Rosso from Sicily that looked and felt and smelled and tasted like an Oregon Pinot, which was one of the most surprising things I've ever enjoyed after opening a bottle of Italian red wine. It had this bright, beautiful, light garnet, translucent almost color to it. And it was so surprising. And we learned that. And now We'll craft small events and tastings and and take that and share that with the members. And they're very open to it. You're right. They're sophisticated. They like what they like. But as you mentioned, about half of our members come from the southeast locally here, Atlanta, Georgia, South Carolina. But the rest, and this is a big Petri dish, as you mentioned, the Midwest, the Northeast, New England, even we're getting more members moving here from California, believe it or not who have enjoyed great success in their lives 
have sophisticated tastes and have tasted enough wine to know that once we've earned their trust, Mm -hmm. they'll let us lead them down new roads. Mm -hmm. And that's the absolute best part about what we do. That's, it's great to hear that because, I mean, that's the perception I get is that, uh, you know, there was, there's the joke, ABC, anything but Chardonnay, you know, people that, you know, get, but there are these, uh, these new Chardonnays and we talked about Oregon, uh, obviously Washington, you know, you've got Chardonnay isn't what Chardonnay used to be. It's not your grandma's Chardonnay anymore, right? Now you, you, in your role, you see that, you know that, you taste that, but to get somebody over the hump with that, right? I mean, they, they literally have to taste that wine, you have to get them to do that before they have that aha moment, right? Absolutely. And you, the, the word is trust. And it, just like with anything, they're not going to do it just because you say it. It's about establishing a relationship and, um, and demonstrating that what you're doing is always on their behalf and in their best interest. You know, and that's, what, that's at the end of the day, that's what hospitality is all about. But absolutely. You put a bottle of a glass of Rombauer Chardonnay next to a Polini Montrachet. Most people wouldn't know that that's the exact same varietal, right? That's the exact same grape. And that is a big trend in, in Chardonnay. Personally, I enjoy more of the restrained style, you know, less oak, less manipulation. Let the terroir do what it was, what it, it was meant to do. Um, but... As we know, there's certainly a taste for a little bit of everything when it comes to California Chardonnay. But it's interesting, like we said, to even see Oregon now going into Chardonnay. We'd never hear that before. There's a great, great little story with the 2017 Gunlock Bunshu Chardonnay. We're talking about Chardonnay from, from Sonoma. Here in just about two weeks, Katie Bunshu from the Bunshu family will be here at Reynolds to share her family's amazing story, 150 years in Sonoma producing wine and where her family from Germany came to California to make beer. <laughs> and through a few, of course, <laughs> and through a few twists and turns, um, they actually started making wine and turned into the oldest winemaking property and family in Sonoma, iconic. And we are just delighted to, to have Katie, who has, is an amazing person in, in herself, be here to share these with us. And how about this Grenache? Uh, you know, that's a varietal that, uh, you know, living in Washington, uh, obviously east of the Cascades. I mean, that, that's a varietal that, I mean, I think is really on the rise. I know Syrah, obviously, and the other varietals from Walla Walla are uh, in vogue. But Grenache is a very, very nice varietal. It is very approachable, and um, you know, it, just like Napa gets all the ballyhoo in in California, Bordeaux and Burgundy, you know, receive their lion's share of the spotlight in France. But but some of these Rhone varietals are extremely enjoyable, and we love love sharing the story. And California, especially Central California, does extremely well with the climate for growing these Rhone-style varietals, as we know. So Morgan is producing something that we're really enjoying recently, our members, and I will say personally as well, <laughs> uh, a Grenache blend called Cote de Croze 2016 from Monterey. What else are you drinking? And I know that is an absolutely loaded question because you're drinking probably lots of different wines, but uh, what's top of mind right now? Well, you hit the nail on the head with lots of different wines. We obviously love it. We're passionate about it. Um, For Christmas, I'll tell you that my wife gifted me a coffee cup that actually said this might be wine inside. So I think she may have wanted it for herself, though, one of those kind of gifts. 
obviously the main varietals that we all enjoy are something we're going to see on our dinner tables often. But as you mentioned, the Rhone style blends, Orin Swift has really kind of found a way to bring some of those into the market in a new way. A lot of it has to do with uh, marketing and packaging, but some beautiful, beautiful fruit behind the product. At the end of the day, I probably will pour a glass of Pinot, Mm -hmm. Pinot Noir, before anything else for myself. But it's such a vast world. I mean, if you look at Napa Valley, over 500 wineries alone just in Napa Valley. And just to take that number to give you some perspective, 500 wineries in Napa Valley alone, and Napa Valley produces 3% of the wine produced in California. So it's, it's a big world. And the most exciting thing about it is it, it's always changing. It's very dynamic. It's interesting what you said about Pinot Noir, too, because, you know, living in Seattle, I think anybody north of the 40th parallel at about, I don't know, mid-October shifts from whites and rosés in the summer to, I think it's time for Syrah again, right? And you, and you, and you move away from a varietal that you love. And, and I was in Oregon recently, and, and we're tasting through those Pinot Noirs, and I'm like, man, this, this feels good, you know? It's like I... I miss you, Pinot Noir. I haven't had you in six months, right? (laughs) Good to see you again, old friend. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is seasonally based. This time of year, and it's it's really starting to warm up in Georgia, you're seeing pink everywhere, right? And we love that. And and rosé is really like sweeping the nation, right? Um, And you're seeing the producers who have always produced it, and now you're seeing producers that you would never associate rosé with getting on board. Gergich Hills just released their first vintage of rosé. We're featuring it here at the club. It's fantastic. Um, at our grand tasting the other night, um, Duckhorn's Golden Eye brand, um, their rosé was the talk of the town in terms of, of pinks that night. And then, of course, one of my favorites uh, uh, from Topless Creek, their Patalina de Rosé out of Paso Robles. Um, really, really great warm weather uh, food friendly and uh, and just beautiful in color and texture and taste. And let's be very clear that rosé. This is a man's wine. Re- oh, real men drink rosé, right? <laughs> there was a time, but uh, but uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not ashamed to say that you might catch me once in a while with a with a glass of pink. Right? <laughs> me neither. I love it and the bubbles too. And we're seeing yes. a lot of that. Come from yeah the Pacific Northwest to Oregon, really getting into the the, the sparkling wines now too. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and hey, how about combine those two pink bubbles, right? Yeah. You're going to see a lot of that. Uh, Shramsburg uh, Brut Rosé is one of our top sellers here at the club of all bubbles. Well, it's been fun. Uh, this is a uh, this is got this is like a dream gig, right? I mean, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. D- don't pinch me, please. I don't want to wake up. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We we really really enjoyed evolving the program here and connecting with every single individual member through what we do, what yeah. we do on the plate, what we do in the glass. And we wake up every day looking forward to doing that. Yeah, we love this place. Great spending time with you, Jason. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And if you haven't already pulled this up on your phone or pad, you can learn more about the setting here in Georgia Lake Country, 10 incredible and very different restaurants Just click on Visit Here for lodging options. Lots to choose from, including a Ritz-Carlton on property. I'll tell you this, 
I've traveled all over the country. We have a lot of spectacular resorts in America, but there is truly nothing like this place anywhere else in America. And in our next episode of Vintage, we'll introduce you to the Detroit native and certified master chef who has totally transformed the dining experience at Reynolds Lake Oconee. That download coming up next on Vintage. Vintage is a presentation of Feedback Media. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.